Hey, this is Ryan Miller. I'm the lead pastor of Local City Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this talk encourages you, inspires you, and reminds you that there is always hope. That this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the message. So as I said, this is talk number four in these deep dive conversation that we've been having. And let me do a quick recap of everything that we've discussed this month. Week number one was all about how the deep dive life knows it's with God. That our life is dedicated to be, actually is created to be in relationship with God. Before that, we were just dust from the earth. That yes, God formed into this beautiful little sculpture, but that thing didn't come alive until the breath of God was breathed into it. So you will never find the source of your life, you will never find your true identity outside of anything else except for God and his breath of life that he has for you. Come on, are you thankful that God's breathed some life into your dead situations and past and mistakes and all that? I am. Number two is the word of God, that this is more than just a book. And this is not something that we have to explain away or like not use anymore as a resource, but this is a foundation that we can and should build our life on. Is it something that's difficult to understand sometimes and hard to walk through? Yes, of course. But that doesn't mean it's any less powerful and has any less authority in our life. That we have to put the priority of God's word back at the forefront of what we're leaning on, of what we're reading and what we're paying attention to. We, we challenged all of us here at church to start every day with the first 15. That your first 15 minutes of your day are five minutes in God's word and five minutes in prayer and five minutes worshiping him and see how God doesn't begin to build a foundation on some of the powerful promises that are made in his word. And the third thing is that we worship God above all. We had the conversation that all of us worship something because there's something right now that you're paying attention to. That yes, you may be listening to me, but right now you're thinking of something. Thinking of where you're gonna go to lunch or thinking about that thing that's coming up this week that you're not looking forward to or whatever it may be. And we worship something with our attention. We worship something with our focus. Well, we really understood last week that the most important thing and the most valuable thing we do as followers of Jesus is worship God above all else. Sometimes the best things that we can do, we even sing it here, is just to throw up our hands and praise Jesus again. Because where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. So I turn my gaze up. I look up to the things of God and his strength and his power. And as if you noticed, you know me. I love a little alliteration in the house. For you English majors out there, maybe if you didn't do so good in English, alliteration means when you just start the same word over and over again with the same letter, same consonant sound, wuh. So we got some W's that we're working on. And today, I got another W for you, and I promise you this one's gonna be exciting, so I need you to lean into it. And today's title of our conversation is Let's Get to Work. Let's get to work. Come on, give that person another elbow next to you. Just do two elbows like this. Hey, it's time to get to work, bro. It's time to get to work, sister. Come on. We got to get to work because there is some work to be done. And I believe that there is no greater work for us than to do what God's called us to do and to build his house and love and serve those around us. Yeah, I know maybe you're like, Ryan, wait, it's Sunday. Didn't God rest on Sunday? Wasn't the day, yes, this is the day of rest. 
But there were six days of work before that. Sometimes we want the six days of rest and maybe a little less than one day of work. But when we trust in God, there is still work to be done. When we give our life to Jesus, there is still work to be done. I love this verse. Uh, We just are finishing up a seven-day week of prayer and fasting, focusing on Jesus, separating ourselves from distractions. And God led me to this verse to share with you today to kick us off. And it's Galatians 6, 9. It says, so let's not get tired of doing what is, say it with me, let's not get tired of doing what is good. Not what is busy, not what is successful, but what is good. Why? Because at just the right time, oh, I love this. I love promises in Scripture. Come on, who loves a good promise, right? Mm. I promise you today is going to be good. I'm going to stand on it. But at just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So obviously, if we're getting tired, it means we're working on something. I don't, I don't, don't get tired sitting here. If I did, I would need to go to the doctor pretty quickly. Like if I just got tired sitting here not doing anything. So if the scripture is telling us that we shouldn't get tired, it means there is something we should be doing that makes us tired. But that we should never get tired of doing what is good. Why? Because at just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Can I encourage you, local city today, whether it's your hundredth time at church or your first time at church, don't give up, don't stop, don't give in. Keep pressing, keep trusting God, keep going, keep taking one step at a time, because I promise you, you will reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. Come on, if you're thankful for that, give me a good amen today. And let me give you this statement. This is gonna kind of guide our whole conversation this morning. A deep dive life is what you've been talking about. And a deep dive life is a good steward of what God has given them. God has given you something. If you don't believe me, take a deep breath. That breath is from a gift of God. Didn't come from anything else. Didn't come from biology, evolution. Didn't come from things firing and clicking the right way. We believe there was a creator and he breathed life into you and he gave you life. But he didn't just cause, he didn't just ask you to live that life however you want. He called you to be a good steward. Before I pray today, let me pose this question for you. I believe that if if we want to grow and truly go deeper in our faith, we have to move from immaturity to maturity. Or if you're like my sixth grade teacher, immaturity to maturity. I hate it when she would say that. I'm like, come on, just say it. You know, that might be the right way, but I like the mature way, all right? Um, But I believe that when we're immature in our faith with God, we're constantly asking him, God, can you be trusted? When we're immature and at a, or at a shallow place in our life, we're constantly asking, God, can you be trusted with my life? Can you be trusted with this decision? Can you be trusted with my time and my money? Can you be trusted with my identity? But as we grow, I believe we shift to understanding this, is that we know God can be trusted. And now that every day he asks us this, can you be trusted with what I want to give you? Can you be a good steward of what I want to place in your hands? Can you be a good steward of the talents and abilities and people I've placed around you? So if you're ready to be a good steward today, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And let's take a deep dive in this understanding of let's get to work. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you're here in this place. And I pray today that no one in this room would give up. But today we would listen and we would lean in to the great things that you have for us. 
and the forgiveness and freedom that you offer us today. Pray for us in this room that you would help us not be distracted. You would help us not feel defeated, but you would help us truly understand that we are a steward of this life that only comes from you. Be with, us in this, be with us in this room. Be with all of our local city kids and teachers next door as they learn about Jesus, as they learn about how awesome it is to be at church. And God, I pray today you would help us take one step closer to you through the power and touch of your Holy Spirit today. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, we all say, come on, amen and amen. And give me a good shout and clap for everyone watching for Local City Church Online. So glad you're with us. You're a part of the family. If you're watching right now, hit us up in the comment section or if you're watching on demand. But hey, we're always saving you a seat on Sunday morning. So if you know my story at all, you know I kind of cut my teeth in ministry, in youth ministry. I started out as a middle school youth pastor, which man, those were some training, formative years. If you've had some middle schoolers in your life, you know they're a tough crowd. They're, yeah, amen. They're a tough crowd, right? You know, they're going through the hygiene stuff. They're like, you know, they're at that thing where they think they're cool, so it's kind of hard, hard to make them happy, hard to make them smile. But I learned a lot during that time. And eventually I became the, the student youth director at our church over in Clearwater that Adrian and I were, uh, she was worship pastor and I was the youth pastor at. And uh, man, as a youth pastor, I got to experience some great things. Got to help disciple and train hundreds of kids. It was awesome. I love pouring into the next generation. I love seeing all the little kids around the room today and in our kids' classes. It's really amazing. Got to go on missions trips all over the world, which was, again, to see the miracle-working power of God in countries like the Dominican Republic and Jamaica and Greece. Man, just amazing things that really have marked my life. I can think of a moment on every missions trip that I got to go on that truly marked my life. Felt the call into full-time ministry when I was in Jamaica, leading a vacation Bible school for like 40 kids up on a mountain that we had to drive two hours to in a little Volkswagen Scirocco, if you ever remember that. I don't know if you remember those, because I sure don't until I saw one there, up going up the mountains, afraid we're going to fall off the mountain as we're driving up. But also, I love the, one of my favorite things that we got to do was take all these students to camp every year during the summer. It was just a momentous time and a powerful time. And what I loved about youth ministry is getting to talk with some really cool parents. Some parents were not so cool, and that's okay. It comes with the territory. But some were really fun and awesome. And one of my favorite memories that applies to our message today is an email that I got on a Sunday afternoon before we were leaving for camp, and I wanted to share it with you today. This came from a parent of a kid who I was taking to camp. He said this, hey, just wanted to know, wanted you to know we're giving our kids money for the snack shack and lunch Friday. If they run out before lunch on Friday, please don't cover for them. Hashtag mean dad, hashtag need to learn finances, hashtag life lessons, happy face, thanks and have a great time at camp. I read this and I was like, I love this guy. Yes, I am taking this, this mean dad, hashtag life lesson. He said to his kids, hey, I'm giving you this much and if you spend it the first day on candy, that's your fault. And you gotta realize that when you spend what I give you in the wrong places, you may not have what you need when you need it. And I thought about this, I mean, I honestly, I had this email saved for years. Like, when's the right time to use this little email? I thought today would be good. Because I believe, now I don't think God would hashtag mean dad you, and I don't think he would write an email to me, but I do think he would say, hey, I've given you value, I've given you resources, I've given you life, so don't waste it. 
So don't spend it on candy. I still love candy as a 35-year-old, but maybe your candy is something else. You're spending your time and your talents and your treasures on all these things that are actually not of any value. They may be of some earthly substance, but they have no heavenly significance to them. What is a deep dive life? A good steward of what God has given them. I know that there is miracles in front of us if we just choose to see them. There are lives that we can change if we just choose to notice them. I love the promise that Jesus gives his disciples in Matthew 9, 37 through 38. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Have you ever prayed the prayer in the morning, God, help me work so that I can help someone know you today? Because Jesus says that that should be the first priority over God help me today because I need this. What I love about this promise is that it says the harvest is great. There are people out there just ready to come to church, ready to give their life to Jesus, but there are no workers out there who are paying attention to them. You see, the thing is, it says God's in charge of the harvest. What does it mean? That God has planted the seed in someone's life. God has done something in their mind. He has moved in their life, and all he needs is someone to go and reap that harvest. But if the farmer sits inside his house, it doesn't matter how big his harvest is outside. He has to get to work to go harvest it. It doesn't just happen automatically. I'm not a farmer, but I'm pretty sure that corn just stays corn out there unless he gets out and harvests it and shucks it and sends it out. Thing is, is that there are ripe cornfields in our city and in your family and in your friendships and in your workplaces. But we're so focused on, God, what are you gonna do for me? That God is saying, hey, I got you, you're good, I'm with you, but why don't you just do just a little something for someone else? Why don't you get out there and work the harvest a little bit? Because I believe, let me hear, hear me when I say this local city, I believe the answer to your problems is not always a solution to your problems. But I believe, number first, first and foremost, that your, your solution is actually someone who is bigger than your problems, who is Jesus. But the one that we forget is also that the solution is something that we've given our life to that is bigger than our problems. So again, if my life is a little crazy and a little stressful and I'm going through some things, honestly, it really does take a back seat to when I've realized, man, God is still doing something in my life, though, and God is still doing something through me. Let me give you this, Phil, write this down. Just because our relationship with God is not the result of our works, there was nothing we could earn to earn, to, to earn salvation. No good works could ever earn a salvation. Just because our relationship with God is not the result of our works, it's all because of Jesus, it doesn't mean our life with God is absent of work. Paul says that he works out his faith in fear and trembling of God, like continue. I mean, I know you've given me such an incredible gift of life and you have freed me and you have forgiven me. I gotta work this out with fear and trembling because I don't wanna miss it. I don't wanna mess it up. I gotta get to work because there's people out there who need Jesus. There are people out there, if their life ended today, they would spend eternity apart from God. And I'm sorry if that isn't culturally popular to say, but it's what the word says, and I trust the word over culture. And why would Jesus give his life for us if there was no punishment? 
There was, and we have the answer, and we have the possibility for someone to be forgiven and set free. And sometimes it's just about examining, am I really working in my life to do the things that God's calling me to do? Is it hard? Yeah! But nothing great is ever not hard. Nothing worth doing is easy. I love this quote from, let me go outside the Bible just for a moment. I love this quote from the philosopher Socrates. He says, an unexamined life is not worth living. Can I, can I give you just a request to examine your life during this message today? What has your faith become? Has it become a vending machine of God doing and doing and doing? Or have you said, hey, God, you know what? What can I do? Because you've already done everything for me. What can I do to help that person? What can I do to make a difference in someone's life? See, the thing is, oh, I love that video. Number one, I wish I had that cool, like, South African accent because I feel like I could, just, I could just talk for, like, an hour and you guys would listen because we are the church, right? Like, I feel like you just lean in. But I just got, you know, American, you know, many generations American accent, which is this. Uh, but I think I try to make it exciting. But, but what's funny is, is when you think about we are the church, it, doesn't, it didn't say in that video we go to church. You know that when that statement came about? It came about when Christianity was made like the national religion during the Roman Empire or Constantine and all that stuff. And they started to use it like a lot of times in Roman Catholicism as well of like we're going to this building. We're going to church. But if you look at the book of Acts where the church is birthed, it's all about being the church. It's about that we are the church. So today's whole idea about let's get to work is stop just going to church but being the church Monday through Saturday as well. Is that, that I can't go into your workplaces and preach to the people sitting around you. I'd probably get kicked out. I mean, I would if God told me to, but I probably can't. But you can. And I can't come in contact with every friend and family member that you, ha that you have, but you can. And when you are being the church, you realize that these people are in my influence and I gotta get to work. I gotta be helping them. I gotta be praying for them. Because who else is gonna going to? Maybe you heard that old, uh, that old, old uh, like illustration story where there's a little kid on the beach and a whole bunch of starfish had washed up on the beach and he was just picking up one by one and, th I mean, there were hundreds. He was just picking up one by one and throwing them back in the water as a little kid. That sounds cool because we're like trying to skip them and frisbee them and all that stuff. But, uh, but an older man came and said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm trying to save these starfish by getting them back in the water. And he said, there's no way you can save all of them. But he said, I can save this one though. I love the faith of a child. I love the perspective of a little kid. I know, but I can save this one. Can I encourage you that there's someone that you can help, that you can save, that you can bring them to Jesus, you can bring hope local in their life, and you can get them back into a dive into the living water of who Jesus is. And in the story today that I want to unpack, there are four guys who realize that they have to get to work, and it's a, day, it's, it's, it's a daily thing. It, they have to be good stewards of what God has given them. Maybe you've heard this story before. It comes from Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. It says this, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home, and soon the house where he was staying was so packed that the visitors, that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. I love this. We'll finish the story in just a moment. But I just want to give you the context of what's going on. Number one, Jesus is very popular right now. He is healing people. He's feeding people. 
He's making dead people come back alive. That tends to draw a crowd. And so they pack themselves in this house in Mark chapter 2, and Jesus is teaching, but something begins to happen. The roof begins to open up, and four little happy faces peek in and start to lower this man. Maybe this is what it looked like. I have a picture right here. And start to lower this man right in front of Jesus. I like how he's like, I can't do anything, but this is what these guys are doing to me. What I love about this story is that there was so much that had to happen before this moment. And so often we jump right to this story of like, wow, that's cool. But we forget that, okay, wait a minute. How did we get here? Like, how did this story come into fruition? Well, I think you had four guys who at some point heard about Jesus or had an encounter with Jesus themselves and didn't want to keep it to themselves who heard that Jesus was healing people, who heard that he was saying he was the son of God, that he was the one that they had been waiting for, who was talking about the love of God in a way that no one ever talked about before, that anyone could come to him and receive the forgiveness and freedom that he was offering, that God was someone as a heavenly father welcomes his kids back home. And maybe they witnessed Jesus performing miracles of healing the sick and raising the dead. And when they walked by someone who was hurting, or maybe they even knew the man, they didn't just keep, let him stay there. I mean, I think these four guys, maybe they were friends, a little foursome, bros, having a good time. And maybe on their way to work, they walked by this paralyzed man every day, knew him by name, had a relationship with him, maybe threw him a couple coins every now and then. But they realized, well, what more can we do for him? But then they began to hear that there was this guy named Jesus, or maybe they even saw him with their own eyes. And when they heard that, again, Jesus was coming back somewhere, it means he had already been there. So maybe they experienced him the first time. Maybe they saw him the first time. They said, wait, Jesus is coming back. We got to go get our friend who's been sitting on that mat for years, paralyzed, and we got to get him to Jesus. We got to get him to the place where maybe he can actually be healed. We're playing to pick up basketball tomorrow. We need a fifth. We need a shooting guard. Maybe he can do that. Get some legs, right? Who knows? It's okay to laugh. It's just having fun. It's like, don't take it too seriously. It's a joke. But what I love about it is they grab those four guys, and then the four guys grab him and take him to Jesus, and what happens? They get to the house, and it's too crowded. They can't get in. And they don't make excuses. They don't say, well, you know, maybe tomorrow. Well, you know, there's a lot of people here already, and maybe we'll just wait. I say, no, no, we got to get you to Jesus now, man, because we know if, you, if we can get you to Jesus, the miraculous can happen. And so I love that maybe there was a crazy guy in this foursome of friends that was like, yo, let's go to the roof. You ever had that crazy friend in your circle that just says ridiculous things? I had one of those friends in college, and he would just say, hey, let's go do this. Like one night, we were just sitting around. He was like, man, this is boring. Let's go out to the construction site. I'm like, all right, sure. So we all go out to the construction site, and we were just like, what are we going to do now? He's like, oh, look, there's this sweet like pile of dirt. Let's go climb it. Awesome. Let's go climb it. And so we climb it, get all dirty. He's like, all right, what do we do now? He's like, oh, why don't we, why don't we just jump off it and see how far we can land down the hill? It's kind of soft dirt. All right, man, let's go. And sooner than you know, we've texted like 40, 50 other guys from our campus ministry. We're all out there jumping off this dirt mound, just having a good old time like college students do without alcohol and just having a great time, having a lot of fun, just loving on, jumping and having an active time. And it all started because one guy was like, yo, let's go to the construction site. Let's go to the top of this hill. Let's jump off. I love the guy that's like, hey, let's go to the roof. Yo, what, man? (laughs) 
roof. Do you not see us carrying this guy? Why are we going to go up there? You'll see. And so they get up there, and then it says they start getting to work. They start digging. They start digging a hole. And then, without knowing it, they begin to lower this man down in front of Jesus. You know, you know, I think what's really important and that these four men didn't demonstrate, but I want you to write it down today, is that sometimes we are limited because we don't know or we have forgotten how good God is. I think the posture of these four men helped illustrate the fact that, man, we can't hold on to what God has done in our life. That now, I, I just got to be honest with you, when we have this, and this is for the believers in here, for the followers of Jesus, if, you'll still, if, you're, if you're still figuring this thing out and you have questions, man, we would love to tell you more. We would love to invite you to experience the freedom and healing that Jesus gives. But if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, I got to tell you that the, what Jesus says is the greatest commandment is to love God and love others. And I believe that we can sometimes forget or maybe we don't even know how good God is. If God has done something good in your life, you're called to help him do something good in someone else's life. I think about it this way. I have two sons now. They're crazy. I love them so much. My one son, Teddy, he's going to be a year old next month, and he's walking, which is really cute. I mean, he's just walking everywhere. It's really fun. But imagine, you know, if we were to go to, you know, we got Bush Gardens right up the street. Imagine if I take them there in a few years, and we're playing, and we're in line, and we're going on rides, we're having a good time, but, but at some point, I realize that Teddy is gone. So I have my five-year-old shepherd, and then Teddy's gone. He just waddled away somewhere, because now he can walk. And I'm realizing that he is lost. Wouldn't my mind as a father completely shift and forget everything else and totally focus on the son and child that is lost? But what would the posture of the father be if my five-year-old son, Shepherd, who I know is right here next to me, who is like, Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, it's hot out. I need water. Dad, carry me. I got to be honest with you, my posture would be, hold on, one of our sons is lost. I'll get to you in a moment, but I got to find this one first. Do you understand that that is kind of what we do to God? Is that we say, God, do this, do that, and I'm not saying God won't do that. I would have gotten shepherd lunch and water, not hashtag mean dad, hashtag good dad. I would have got him all those things. But my first priority is the fact that I can't find my other son. At no point do I say, well, I've got one. One out of two is not bad. You know, I've got one of them. But I, I, I feel like I've done this in my life where I've put, in those, I've put those statements on God. And he says, well, God's got me. And I, God, God, you need to help me right now. And it's like, do you, do you understand how many lost and broken people you walk by every day? Do you understand how many people are in your circle of influence that don't know that there is a good God who loves them, who feel, who, who have this fake understanding that I'm standing here like this, cursing them and punishing them when really my arms are like this and all they need is someone to say, hey, dad's over here. He's been looking for you. He's been wanting to know you. He loves you and he just wants to wrap you in his arms again. Isn't that the better way to live if we call ourselves followers of Jesus? Isn't that the way to be the church? Isn't God good? Can I get an amen? amen? Isn't he good for those of us in the room and outside the room? Yeah. Scripture tells us that how are the people going to know that God's good unless someone tells them? Yeah. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us 
to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. It only happens on the, as the result of getting to work. Mighty power at work within us, at work, not at rest, not at passive stance, but as active, at work, doing something, God will accomplish more than we could ask or imagine. Look at this picture of these coins that probably mean nothing to you. And they also mean nothing to the husband and wife in England who had no idea that they were under their house. So a husband and wife were getting to work renovating their house in England. And they were beginning to replace the floors in their kitchen. And they ripped up the floors in their kitchen and they saw something shining in the dirt. And they began to dust them off and they realized there was a whole mound of these gold coins. And they brought, us, they brought them to a, an appraiser, a professional, and they said, wow, this is quite a find. They said, oh, wow, is it worth something? Um, let me just tell you, it's worth more than a little something. These coins that were sitting under your kitchen that would have sat there forever unless you got to work are worth $850,000. And they were, oh, I was expecting a little bit more like, wow! I mean, I would be excited about that. I mean, when I read the story, I was like, wow, that's awesome! But, I got, but it's, just, it's just sitting there unless they decide to renovate and do some work. Never would have been known. If they were just like, same old, same old. We've been in this house for a while. It's good the way it is. I want to encourage you today that if your approach to your faith is same old, same old, I'm good the way I am, you'll never find the $850,000 worth of miracles that are sitting under the deep work that you need to get to in your life. You need to allow God to do in your life. Because here's what we know. One moment with Jesus can change everything. I mean, that's the truth. I believe if you need your life to change, one moment with Jesus can change everything. I'm not going to tell you it's going to solve all your problems in one moment, but everything can change. Why? Because now you have someone you can lean on. Now you have someone who's, who's given you forgiveness for all the mistakes and past stuff that I've done. And now you have freedom to walk in knowing that there is a God who loves you and is with you. And let me tell you, just give you a vision statement about the church, about local city is that one moment with Jesus can change everything and we will do whatever it takes to give someone a chance at that moment. I'll do whatever it takes. I mean, I, I, don't, I will be inconvenienced. I will do it when I'm tired. I will do it when I don't want to show up. I will do it when I feel discouraged. I will do it when I feel defeated. I will do it when the enemy's just yelling at me through my anxieties and my depressions and my insecurities and my fears. I will do whatever it takes to give someone a chance at the moment where Jesus can change everything. Why? Because someone did it for me. And it changed my life. The only reason I have my beautiful wife and my beautiful kids and the honor of pastoring this church is because one kid in my sixth grade class said, hey, you should come to church with me. I think it'd be good for you. Can we all agree that church is good? Can we all agree that worshiping God helps us? Can we all agree that being around people who can encourage you and pray for you is a good thing? Then why don't we fill this house with people? This is not a religious message. Do more. This is a relationship message about who we are in Christ and what God has done for us, so how can we not be the church and do more? We can give it up for that. Here's how the story closes. The first three words are so important. Seeing, Mark 2, 5, seeing their face, their faith. Maybe their faces too, peering down. But seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Isn't it interesting to think that someone could be healed in your life because of your faith? It doesn't say seeing the man laying on the mat. It says seeing the faith, the faith of the people lowering him down. Jesus noticed the lost. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority. Let me tell you, Jesus still has authority. 
His word is still way powerful than anything that comes our way or any popular voices right now. He's still got authority. He's still conquered the grave. He's still sitting at the right hand of God so he can forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. Now, why does Jesus tell him this? He was like, oh, you know what? Go home, rest, rest, buddy. You just got carried a few blocks. You got carried up the roof. Who knows, who knows if they dropped you a couple times? They got, you got low, go ahead, go ahead and go rest. But I, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. He's saying, stand up in the miracle and healing and forgiveness and freedom I've given you. Pick up your mat, pick up your past, which you've been healed from. Pick up your mistakes, your brokenness. Pick up your miracle and go home. And when people look at you and say, hey man, why are you carrying that mat? Oh, because I lived on this thing for years. Just a few moments ago, I was paralyzed. What? How that happened? I don't know. Before my friends carried me up this roof and lowered me in front of this guy named Jesus and he forgave me of my sins, which man, I've never felt more free. But then he went even deeper and he, he healed me. Where is this Jesus guy? I gotta see this man. I got some weight on me. I, need, I got some burdens I'm carrying. I could use some health, some healing too. Where is he? Oh, let me show you. Now I can walk and show you. He uses miracle to help other people see Jesus. Didn't use his miracle for himself. And I think I, I have the feeling like the men are looking down and first Jesus says to the man paralyzed, hey, your, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, Jesus, not really. Not really why we brought him here. But that's good. That's good. But Jesus knows that's the, that's the deepest need of everyone. It's forgiveness. What, 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 what good does it do me to heal my earthly body if my heavenly soul is not forgiven? Because that's what goes on in eternity. And so there are people in your life that maybe they're going through something, but you honestly know they just need a touch from Jesus to be forgiven of their past, to be forgiven of what they've gone through. And maybe on the other side of your grabbing your corner of the mat, just bringing them here, who knows what God could do? Let me close with three things real quick, but I want to give you a, kind of a funny illustration. So um, last year, we uh, signed a lease for our local city HQ where we just had morning prayer the last few days, and, and we have a lot of our circles. It's going to be great. Um, but I went to Ikea because I love Ikea when you got a place to fill with furniture, right? I mean, I was a big fan of it. A lot of the stuff around here you see is Ikea because it's great. Um, but anyway, uh, I went there, and I was... Uh, I, Bought a whole bunch of stuff, some furniture for my office and for the HQ, and I was packing a, a U-Haul truck or a little minivan, little van, cargo van of all the stuff. And so I was loading it up, and an elderly lady came, and she's like, "Hey, I, I just bought this cabinet. Um, could you could you help me load it into my trunk?" And I was like, "Oh yes, ma'am, of course, of course." And so I loaded it in hers, and and then as I was loading it in, a, 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 a man, an older man next to her, said, "Hey, hey, could you help me with this?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course." And, uh, and so I grabbed him and I put it in. And then in like a, a husband and wife, you know, like younger, like I don't know why they're asking me to help, but, but they're younger. They're like, hey, hey, can you, uh, can you help us with these two things? I'll put it in, I'll put it in. And I was like, as I get to like the third or fourth thing, and they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you work here? And I said, no. And they said, they said why are you doing this? Well, I said, because that lady needed help. And then that man needed help. And you needed help. And I don't say no to people who need help. They thought I worked there because I was doing what a worker would do. If you're doing what a worker who follows Jesus does, people will look at you and say, hey, can you pray for me? Can I go to church with you? Because it seems to mean a lot to you. Can you help me? Because I don't know what to do. And again, I'm not trying to burden you. 
I'm honestly just trying to bless you with purpose of who you actually were created to be, to realize that you're the found son and daughter. And there's a lost son and daughter in your life that God so desperately wants to reach. And the plan to reach them is you, is me. And there is no plan B. So let's get to work. So let me give you three, three quick things here. And I really want, remember, an unexamined life is a life not worth living. So I want you to really just lean in with me today and think about these things. A deep dive, a deep dive life hungers for, number one, the work of invitation. Why did I use the word hunger? Well, one of the most transformative books in my life called H3 about leadership talks about every leader has to have three things, humility, a hustle, and a hunger. The first two can be taught, the third one you just have to have because no one can teach you to have it. You have to have a hunger for these things. I can tell you why, but you've got to choose to be hungry for it. And I believe when you're hungry for it, it's just like that restaurant you haven't been to in a while, you go back and you're like, man, I forgot how good this was. The work of invitation. Honestly, it's simple. It's the work of inviting people to church. Let me just tell you, uh, I'm, I'm about people coming to church and I'm about more people coming to church. Church doesn't save them, Jesus does, but where can they meet him? Here. Now they can meet him anywhere, they can meet him in a one-on-one conversation with you, but I just believe the church should be filled with people. And we should invite people to church. It's one of the things the early church did. They were being the church by bringing more and more, pe- more people into the walls. And I, I just wanna, I wanna see more people reached. And I would say, if you were to be a good steward, you would say, hey, there's an empty seat next to me, or an empty seat next to my wife, or an empty seat next to my friend. I'm gonna fill that next week. I'm gonna fill that in a couple weeks. I'm gonna fill that for anniversary Sunday. It's actually so easy, the work of invitation. I just, I gave a couple bullet points for you. Number one is like your world invite list. When I play basketball with some guys on Mondays at 8.30, when you, when you get open and they give you a pass, I, I picked up this phrase, they say, your world, and I didn't know what that meant, so I had to ask. I was like, I was like what's that mean? And they're like, oh, just take your shot. Just like do your thing. Oh, okay, cool, because <laughs> I didn't know. And I would say like, your world. Like do your thing in your world. Do your thing in your circle, which is bring the hope of Jesus local there. And invite them. Just look around you, I promise you, at your workplaces or in your friendships, there's people who need to know Jesus and need to be invited to church. Number, number two is you're just always posting about it. It's like, it is the good thing about social media that I've heard so many stories of people that have come here because someone simply tagged at local city church and they saw it on their story and they were like, man, I need to go back to church. Maybe I'll try that place. I believe it's a good place to try. And number three, bringing people into your circle. We're about to launch circles. Maybe you would pray today, God, am I called to lead a circle? Do me a favor, text CIRCLE to 97,000 up on the screen. Lead one, build one. Maybe you're already doing something with some friends. Make that a circle, bring Jesus into it, and see what he does. Second thing is the work of involvement. You gotta be involved in God's house. Here's the three bullet points I have for you, is that not only do you consume church, but you contribute to church as well. Because that's when God really begins to unlock some things in you. You know when God began to unlock some things in me? Not when I started preaching, not when I started speaking, not when I started youth pastoring, not when I started working at a church, but back when I was like 13 years old, it was, it's way cooler now, just so you know, to run words for worship, because you get to sit at a computer. I started running words on the overhead projector 
with those little transparencies, if you're old enough to remember those, and you had to lay it on the thing, and then you'd always get it backwards first, then you'd flip it over, be upside down, you had to fix it. That's where I got my start, and I loved it, because I was helping people worship. I knew I was contributing to helping people experience God. As I build God's house, he builds my life, and my specific purpose matters here. You may be called to park cars. Man, we need some smiling people out there. That's the first face they see. And if they see a mean guy, they'll, they'll turn away. We need some smiling people out front. We need someone who just wants to care for people and make coffee for people and serve them because they know they're contributing to the experience of someone experiencing Jesus. We need someone to love on babies and our kids so that they know at a young age that God loves them. We need musicians and singers who are actually talented to do so uh, to contribute that specific purpose because that's what the church is all about. I never want this to be the Ryan and Adrian show. This is the we show, because we are church. And it's not really even the we show, it's us showing Jesus to those around us and what he's done in our life. Last one, I need you to lean in here, is the work of investment. When you're invested in something, you care about it. When you're invested in something, you pay attention to it. So remember I told you I need you to lean in a little bit, one of the greatest things I can pastor you to do is to let go of your financial freedom like this and trust God with it. I wouldn't even say freedom. I would say trust with our financial grasp and give it to the freedom of giving to God. And I would ask you to pray this prayer today and at any moment as we begin to close is that God, do you want me to start giving and tithing into this house today? You're invested in something. You give to it. We pay attention to it. We know it makes a difference. And I just want you to know that, man, when I started doing this in my life, I realized, man, I, I have a big part in every single life that gets changed through my church because my generosity makes this happen. And again, we want to live like this, not like this. And I would just say, test God and what he does. We give this a few times a year, the 90-day tithe challenge. You can text the word tithe, T-I-T-H-E, to 97,000 right now, and you'll get a link. And when you fill out that link, you'll get a whole bunch of financial resources and freedom things that we have for you. But also you'll be challenged to set up recurring giving for 90 days and see what God does. That's between you and God. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just telling you to pray that prayer. God, should I do it? And if he says yes, what do you have to lose? The answer is nothing. You have everything to gain. As we close, here's the reminding statement is that a deep dive life is a good steward of what God has given them. That breath in your lungs seems a little bit more valuable now, right? That opportunity to reach someone seems a little bit more valuable. And I have, this, I have this idea that when that man was healed and he was walking through the crowd, like, hey, yeah, look at me. The one you didn't make room for, look at me. Walking out. I feel like the four guys ran down the roof of the house and were outside waiting for him. Like, yo, man, that was awesome. Can you believe it? Look what Jesus did in your life. Come on, let's jump up and down. Let's go to the courts. Let's go. So excited, and I would hate to rob you of that joy of bringing someone into this place and them having an encounter with Jesus. In just a moment when I give the invitation, you do a little peek, raise their hand, they say yes to him. I'm telling you, when I've seen that in my life through someone I invited, there's not much better than that. So let's keep hungry for it. Let's keep moving for it. Let's be good stewards of what God has given us Thank you so much for joining us on the Local City Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow it to go deeply into your heart. 
Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Local City Church. Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to localcity.church/give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.